According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Once again, we are in Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12, we're looking at uh, verses 5 through 7, and then a follow-up concept that comes in verse 8. And that's where we ran out of time last week. Uh, looking at verse 8 as a follow-up to uh, verses 5 through 7. So uh, we're going to open it up with a word of prayer, and then we'll uh, take up where we left off one week ago today. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for the blessings we have to assemble together today, and we call upon your faithfulness to open the eyes of our understanding and to lead us in, in this uh, Beautiful, beautiful truth. Open our eyes, Father, and feed us today. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Verse 5, you recall, centered on our thinking and uh, twin applications there between the thoughts and the counsels. And we realize that thinking takes work. (laughs) Thinking is exhausting, which is probably why a lot of people don't like to do it. Uh, but the thoughts of the righteous, these are the systematic comprehensive thoughts. And then the counsels, those are the plans, those are the intentions. That's uh, where we may not actually achieve what we want to do, but we are making plans in order to do something of that nature. And so we have thoughts and we have counsels. And um, I'll bring the uh, slide back up that we were looking at. Because we have some definitions here. The the thoughts and the counsels, right? Between verse 5, verse 6, and verse 7, we have thought, word, and deed. And I like to use the expression thought, word, and deed. I've been using it for years. Thought, word, and deed. We, we want to glorify Jesus Christ with every thought, word, and deed. That we're accountable for every thought, word, and deed. Uh, we're, we're going to be held accountable in judgment for how we think. We're going to be held accountable in judgment for the words we use, and then obviously for our deeds. And uh, if we can start to think in those terms, we'll have a pretty comprehensive Christian walk. And uh, in that aspect, I think babies kind of focus on their activities, and then they start to get a handle on their words, and then they, in in maturity, you start to get a handle on your thinking. And we want to have all three uh, victorious for Jesus Christ. So thought, word, and deed, they're all manifest in this contrast between the righteous and the wicked. You can tell how, how uh, the righteous people and the wicked people, you can separate them based on what they do. You can also separate them based on how they talk. And you can separate them based on how they think. And so it's a, it's a criteria for, for delineation as we can manifest that contrast between the righteous and the wicked with every thought, word, and deed. So verse 5 is our thinking, verse 6 is our speaking. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright will deliver them. And again, there's that parallelism between the words and the mouth. That's the nature of Hebrew poetry. We have two halves of each verse. So the words and the mouth. And then the actions in verse 7. The wicked overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. And this has to deal with not only the actions, but then the outcome of those actions, the legacy, the outcome of a lifetime spent in wickedness or a lifetime spent in righteousness. But for the most part, uh, our focus was drawn to verse 5, dealing with thinking and counsels. 
And so thoughts and counsels, this speaks to systematic planning and course charting. You ever chart a course? You know, if you if you're sailing a ship or or a boat or or land navigation, you got to chart your course. You got to decide how what's the best way to get from point A to point B. It was something I specialized in in the army was land navigation. Uh, some of that came from my Boy Scout days, but uh, but uh, <laughs> land navigation and we want to we're going from here. We're going to there. We don't want to do the straight line. Yes, it's the shortest distance, but there's these problems. So let's go here first, and then here, and then here. And uh, there's a, there's a whole. Uh, science to that involved in uh, in uh, course charting. And that's what we're talking about here. God expects us to think. God expects us to chart a course. And then He expects us to uh, to make adjustments as we come to find out more information along the way. There's nothing wrong with charting a course and then changing course when He exposes you to additional information you didn't know before. He's not going to you're not going to uh, blame us for what we didn't know, but he is going to expect us to be flexible. He's going to expect us to be humble and to make the adjustments we need to make when we come to know the the things we didn't know before. And that should be a huge comfort for each one of us in in our Christian walk. So, adjusting our thoughts and our counsels to God's righteousness, that's uh, exactly what we need to be doing. So, we went into the Hebrew for thoughts, the machshava. We went into the Hebrew for counsels, the tachbulah, the idea of counsel or direction, the idea of pulling a rope, changing course, and having the uh, the wisdom to be able to make to take counsel and make a course adjustment when necessary. It's only a fool, a stubborn fool, and I'm preaching to myself, a stubborn fool who refuses to change course because, doggone it, I said I was going to do this, I'm going to do this. You know? No. Yes, you said you were going to do that, but that was before you knew about this. And that was before God opened your eyes to this other thing. And, and you can't be so rigid and inflexible that you're unwilling to change. God Himself, Jesus says, not my will but thine be done. When, when He opens our eyes to see more information of things we didn't know before, then, then, uh, then we better be willing to change those kind of plans. And so we have the application there. Alright, now there's an extension, what I call a follow-up. A follow-up to the thoughts and the counsels from verse 5 is the praiseworthiness of insight in verse 8. A follow-up to the applications of thoughts and counsels is the praiseworthiness of insight. And so we're going to learn about sekel. Okay, sekel. The Hebrew word sekel comes from a verb sakhal, and there's an, a noun called a maskil that uh, we're very familiar with because many of the psalms are maskil psalms. I'll show you some fun things there that we can do as we have time. And so we're going to talk about insight, okay? And we see it here in verse 8. A man will be praised according to his insight, but one of perverse mind will be despised. Again, in the parallelism, we have two halves to the verse. We have insight on the one half, on the first part, that uh, is praiseworthy, that uh, will be praised. Not only is it worthy of being praised, it will be praised. Say, so maybe not in time, but certainly in eternity there will come praise for the insight. And then on the other hand, in the antithetical parallelism, but one of perverse mind will be despised. And that's an interesting contrast too, because if you don't nurture your creativity, 
if you don't develop a um, a skill set that includes uh, insightful thinking, then what happens to your thinking? What happens to thinking that is not fresh? Thinking that is not um, uh, 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 again the, the the flexibility of mind, the the capacity to uh, I hate using these such cliches, but the capacity to think outside the box, the capacity to just take a fresh look at something with with new eyes, to just throw away what you the rut you've been in and just stop and and approach it as with an eternal perspective as God would be looking at a circumstance, for example. That's kind of the the, the concept here with Seckle, the concept with insight, the, the creativity that comes to not only uh, not just knowledge and wisdom, but the capacity for thought itself. See, when you're tackling a problem and say, I just don't know. I don't have the answers. I don't know. Uh, I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the wisdom but I can think. And so I'm going to think this through. And I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to, in prayer and in Bible study and in meditation and in, in consultation with, with fellow believers and all that we do, we're going to think and see what the solution is to this issue. And uh, hopefully that'll, be, that'll make some sense here as well, all right? But it's praiseworthiness. A man will be praised according to his insight. And, and, and we were, as I kind of used this as the teaser last week when we were running out of time, but think about all the ways that we have in Scripture to praise one another and the things we should be thankful for as a flock, as an assembly. And, and, and the praise, it is legitimate to praise one another. We should be praising one another. We should be praising God. We should be praising one another. And uh, and uh, something I'm gonna I, I was gonna make that a, a point of emphasis with my deacons on Sunday, and I didn't do that. But in an upcoming deacons meeting, I'm gonna make it a point of emphasis. Uh, let's try to promote more praise on the Lord's behalf, you know, as unto the Lord, but praise for one another, communicating our thankfulness and our remembrance. What we're learning in, in Philippians right now, thankfulness and remembrance. And so uh, what are the things that we're, that we're thankful for in terms of the blessings that come for those that are teaching Sunday school, or those that are playing piano, or those that are uh, in everything that's being done? Changing diapers. I'm so thankful that I'm not the nursery deacon anymore, okay? I used to be the nursery deacon, but no more. So, um, but you know, those are the kind of things that, and, and we can praise not only, not because we're benefiting from it, we can start there, but beyond the fact Christ is benefiting from it. Christ is being glorified. His name is being exalted. The body of Christ is being built up. See, the benefit of volunteering in the nursery is, is, is we're freeing up parents that can sit here and get doctrine. They can get fed. And, and so there's a sacrifice. And yeah, you, uh, you miss out on an hour, but you can get caught up uh, with the MP3 or you can listen on the speaker and, and your turn only comes up every three or four weeks anyway or month anyway. So it's a sacrifice of your time to benefit the parents of these children so that they can be fed, they, they, they can be blessed. See, anyway, other things we can praise for. I would like to start praising one another for our insight based on this verse. As we're fellowshipping in doctrine, as we're fellowshipping in the Word of God, and someone contributes and says, you know, um, I was in a verse the other day and I was really thinking I might make an application here. Well, bingo, we're talking insight right there. God has opened your eyes to see 
an application that can be made in the Word of God. That's an insight. And and Proverbs 12.8 says you should be praised for that. A man will be praised according to his insight. All right, so let's take a look at uh, some of these terms, uh, and and maybe after we see these verses we'll have a better picture for what we're talking about in terms of insight. But starting in 1 Samuel 25, we have uh, a use of sekel. And sekelo is, uh, when you put the O prefix on it, it means his, his insight. I mentioned last week, uh, somebody I really enjoy on the radio and I enjoy on TV is Jay Seculo. And uh, I think uh, he has a lot of insight. <laughs> I think the things that he talks about, he's really on target in constitutional law and, uh, and other things. And so if Seculo helps you think of insight, then uh, you can remember Seckel is, uh, is our term here. All right, so 1 Samuel... 25 and verse 3. Oh, we read this already. This was uh, Abigail. Remember, Abigail had insight. And um, the the fact that she keeps David from committing a murder here, that she keeps David from uh, something that he was going to regret. But her description... Um, the man's name was Nabal. This is 1 Samuel 25, 3. His wife's name was Abigail and the woman was intelligent. That's our term. She was intelligent. She has capacity to think, insight, the capacity to look at something with a perspective and beautiful in appearance. And sometimes the Hebrew idiom is awkward for us because we don't talk in these terms. But um, she, she had a good body, all right? Is, is what it says. And uh, in some cases the compliments are with respect to the pane, to the face, and in other cases the compliment is in respect to her shape and uh, different things there. And it's normal in Hebrew idiom and a little bit awkward for us today. And we don't use those idioms, but there it is. All right. Uh, but the term for intelligent, she was... Uh, had insight. Nehemiah 8.8, insight. Nehemiah 8.8. And this uh, too, we also saw, I remember now, Nehemiah, of course, is post-exile. And so uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, if you can't remember how to find Nehemiah. It's before Psalms. And notice, this is part of why we come together in Bible class. This is the purpose for expository Bible teaching. This is why we teach systematically. It's why we teach line upon line, precept upon precept. Um, it's not uh, sermonic. It's not topical. It's not, um, it's not designed to be, um, you know, like a feel-good inspirational homily, Okay. Uh, it's designed to be edifying. It's designed to be instructive. It's designed to feed you and train people how to think. And so um, Ezra chapter 8, or I'm sorry, Ezra Nehemiah, chapter 8 and uh, verse 13. On the second day, the heads of the father's households of all the people, the priests and the Levites, were gathered to Ezra the scribe that they might gain insight into the words of the law. And this is the purpose. This is why they assemble together. And you'll note even back to to, uh, verses 1 and 2, the purpose for their gathering. 
that um, so the book, uh, to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had given to Israel. They had a complete canon when they came back from their from their uh, captivity. All right, there were only uh, three. Uh, uh, it was only uh, the the well. Lewis is going to give you the background on this when when uh, when he's teaching. And so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. You see, it's about the understanding. You're coming to Bible class because you want understanding. You want to learn about the Word of God. You want to learn about God and what He reveals in His Word. You're not coming here to be entertained. It's not a baseball game. It's not a Scrabble tournament. It's not anything, it's not recreation. Okay? And uh, so they're described here. Verse 3, he read from it before the square which was in front of the water gate from early morning until midday. Wow, what was their attention span like? <laughs> okay, I think we're cripples. Uh, we're, I think we're attention cripples, crippled in, uh, in our generation. And it's only going to get worse. Google is leaving us where we don't need to remember anything. We just Google it next time we need to know it. Don't, rem- don't bother remembering it between now and then. Just Google it next time. Anyway. Um, in the presence of the men and the women, those who could understand and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And um, down to verse 5, verse 6, they were able to say the amen. Anyway, it's a, down to verse 8. I like verse 8 also. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating... Why do we do our exegesis? Why do we translate? Why are we putting it in the, into their vocabulary, their nomenclature? Translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. All right. And so we have it there. So uh, we have both verse 8 and verse uh, 13 in this context. You'll see both of them on the screen. Uh, verse 8 is the noun cycle, and verse 13 is the verb how to have insight. And that's what we're doing here. That's why we study the way that we do. All right. The rest of these then are in Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 4. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 4. Verse 3 says, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. I'm not sure that's the right verse. Let me find my suckle here and we'll double check that. Okay, the term repute. You will find favor and good repute, understanding, insight. All right. I don't have that footnote in my paper Bible. That's interesting. So that's Proverbs 3 4. Find favor and good insight. It's a promise for studying wisdom. Uh, chapter 12, verse 8 is our passage today. Uh, chapter 13 and verse 15. Good understanding produces favor, but the way of the treacherous is hard. <laughs> okay? Isn't that something? You know, if you think about it, 
I've known people, you probably have too, they, uh, they're, they're kind of crafty co-workers or whoever, and, and, and they work so hard to try to get away with something. You know? They work so hard to try to game the system. They work so hard to try to cheat uh, in school. Or they work so hard to try to, you know, and I just, it, it seems to me that if they just quit trying to cheat and quit trying to game the system and just do what they were supposed to do in the first place, it would be so much easier. They wouldn't have to work so hard at it to try to get away with what they're trying to get away with. So yeah, the way of the treacherous is hard. <laughs> if you think about it in, in that kind of a context. Anyway, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. It's such application here. We'll get to that in the next chapter. Good understanding produces favor. And, and this is, we'll, we're going to have to handle this because there are texts that it kind of seems that grace can be earned. It doesn't say that it's earned, but it is a consequence. You can, you can conduct your life in such a way that God's grace, God's favor will naturally be shining upon you. His, His grace will naturally be, uh, be directed your direction. He's opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. That doesn't mean we earn His grace. That doesn't mean if we work extra hard being humble, we're going to deserve His grace. We're just saying that if we maintain that humility, it is natural for God's grace then to shine that direction because that's what God's grace does. Same thing here. We want to have this understanding. We want to have this insight. We want to train our thinking whereby we have that insight because God's favor will shine upon that. That's the natural direction His favor shines upon. Not that we earn it or deserve it. Okay? Does that make sense? Because, I mean, you can chew on that for hours. Some people really struggle. They really start to think that we can start to earn God's favor. We can never earn God's favor but we can walk according to His plan and and have that applied. All right, Uh, chapter 16, verse 22. Understanding is a fountain of life to the one who has it, but the discipline of fools is folly. And so we want to have this kind of understanding. Our term understanding there is our term suckle, our term for insight. And you think about it, you know, what will the world expend to try to find the fountain of life? Okay, Ponce de Leon and all the explorers and they, you know, how much, you know, money did they spend and they, they risked their lives, they gave their lives, they, they uh, searched to try to find this uh, and, and it's available in the Word of God. Okay, just spend your time in the Word of God. You can gain this understanding, you can gain this seckle, you and I can become seckle. And, uh, and as such then what are we? We're a fountain of life to those that come to us for our seckle. All right, chapter 19, verse 11. A man's discretion, that's his insight, that's his seckle. That's when he's got such a handle on the Word of God that he can make the appropriate applications the right way at the right time. And so uh, it makes him slow to anger. And his glory, it is his glory to overlook a transgression. You know, if love covers a multitude of sins, we have the opportunity with discretion, with the appropriate application, not to, not to excuse what they're doing or not to let them get away with it or whatever, but we find in the right application whereby we can minister to those needs. Talked about that before. Finally then, uh, 23.9, 
But the idea that I can become Christ-like, I can become, God himself is slow to anger, isn't he? So is this the kind of suckle that is going to give me that perspective that God himself has? That's exactly right. <laughs> Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the suckle, the wisdom of your words. And so um, we got to learn not to cast our pearls before a swine, not to throw what is holy to dogs. We may learn, depending on the venue and the circumstance, that um, that uh, Scripture would not be appreciated. In fact, they're going to tear you to shreds. Okay? And, uh, and, and know, know your audience, know your setting, know when is the time to speak, when is the time to be silent. Because there's a time for, for both. And uh, if you're anything like me, you tend to get, get it wrong. <laughs> you, you say something when you're supposed to be silent or you stay silent when you're supposed to say something. And, and um, anyway, that's mark of having the suckle. Mark of having the insight is being able to have that capacity for appropriate thinking. All right, so that's the noun. And then just that right there, that, that list of uh, verses right there, I think, give us quite a bit in the picture. The, um, the verb behind the noun is also interesting, and it's used far more. It's used 60 times, uh, far more than the, the 16 times that, that the noun is used. And it is a verb that speaks of insight, speaks of having insight. But beyond that, and I think an extension of that, it speaks of success. What does it mean to be a successful person? What does it mean to have success, to be successful? And, and maybe until this morning, maybe we're not so quick to link success with insight, but ultimately you can do that. And in many of our endeavors, if, 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 if I'm going to be a successful pastor, a successful husband, a successful uh, competitive Scrabble player, whatever, I'm, you know, whatever I want to find success with, is insight going to help or hurt that? It's going to help, yeah, absolutely. The husbands with no insight ever are not going to be the most successful husbands in the history of marriage, okay? Or wives with never any insight of any kind are not going to be successful wives. How do you have a successful marriage without insight that comes from the Word of God, okay? But to have insight... And so it should not be surprising to us then that the verb sakal, yes, it speaks of insight, but in many cases we can translate it just simply as success. Like Joshua 1. Joshua chapter 1. And what happens at the end of Deuteronomy, the first part of Joshua? Moses dies, right? Moses dies. He brings them out of Egypt. He brings them through the wilderness. He, he leads them for 40 years and then he dies. He, Moses is not allowed to, to enter into the promised land. He cannot lead Israel into the promised land. It's, it's going to be left to Joshua. Joshua is going to lead God's children into, uh, into Canaan land, right? So um, think about it. <laughs> You ever step into somebody else's shoes? I had to follow Ralph Braun as the pastor of Austin Bible Church. Are you kidding me? Ralph Braun is 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 a, is a legend. You know, a pastor for you know years and years and years, and a solid Bible teacher. And you know, when you think of the Hall of Fame, you think you know R.B. Theme and Chet McCauley and Ralph Braun and Glenn Carney. I mean, there's some there's a Hall of Fame of the doctrinal movement 
<laughs> I'm going to follow Ralph? How's that going to happen? Joshua says, I'm going to follow Moses? Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, Moses? Moses parted the Red Sea. Okay? Moses sent 10 plagues to, to Egypt. Moses, uh, I mean, man, how am I going to follow Moses? And so we got these great promises here. And uh, the warnings, you know, don't be afraid. Stand before me. Great promises here. Verse 5 says, No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. Everything Moses did, Moses didn't do it. I did it. I was with Moses when Moses did all that. And now I'm going to be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. God says, I'm going to do this. So you relax about it. You stay faithful. You do what you're supposed to do. Okay? And, and Joshua could get full of himself and get, in, get uh, inadequate, get uh, overwhelmed, feel unworthy, and fail. Or he could just get humble and say, Lord, I'm a tool in your hands. You're the one that's going to do this. You're going to give the, this land to, to your people. Okay? Only, verse 7 says, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Joshua has to make sure his spiritual life is on track. You shall not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. The first, the first mark of a successful life is are you living in the Word of God? Okay? And, uh, you know, parents, you've got adult children, you know, do you, do you care if they're doctors or lawyers or ditch diggers or Indian chiefs or, or what are they? Is, is the measure of their success their, uh, their career, their income, their real estate holdings? What, what is the measure of their success? I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in truth. That's the mark of success. And if you want success anywhere you go, it's got to be living in the Word of God. That's exactly what it's about. And uh, that's step one. Verse 8 then says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. And so this is our definition of biblical wealth, and this is our definition of success, which is insight. Right? The verb speaks of success. The verb speaks of insight. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so we realize each one of us fulfills the purpose of God in our generation. Acts 13, right? David fulfilled the purpose of God in his generation and was laid to rest with his fathers. Each one of us has a purpose in our generation. And we want to run with endurance that race that's set before us. We want to leave a legacy to our children and our grandchildren. We want to be able to say we've done the work that He's called for us to do. We want His prosperity and His success. That's what it's about. All right, uh, 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18. What happens in 1 Samuel 18? Oh, a lot of things. Uh, Joshua, or not Joshua, Jonathan and David, their friendship, um, the continued promotion that David would have in the, in the eyes of the people 
the success everywhere he went and the jealousy then that Saul had, because Saul had success also, just not as much success. (laughs) And that uh, relative scale then really bothered him. All right, 1 Samuel 18 and uh, verse 5. Well, we've got the description here. And then this great friendship, camaraderie between Jonathan and David. This is so powerful. Uh, It says uh, in verse 1, It came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Okay, This is right after killing Goliath. And, and, and Jonathan loves David, not because he's a warrior, not because he killed the giant, not because of, of anything, humanly speaking. They had capacity to fellowship in doctrine, in the Word of God. So when he finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. This is the, the, the great illustration of agape love, right? And... Uh, and, and this is the humility. This is the, the he must increase and I must decrease attitude that John the Baptist had concerning Jesus. Jonathan has it here concerning David. Jonathan knows he will never be king. Okay? And he's the, high, he's the crown prince. His dad is, the, is King Saul. And Jonathan knows that David's the next king. It's not going to be him. And he's the crown prince. Instead of being jealous, instead of being mad, instead of hating David, he loves David. He finds a fellowship in doctrine that he wishes he could have with his own father. He can't fellowship in doctrine with Saul the way that he can with David. And so um, Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. You know, that's a, that's a tremendous... Uh, provision of wealth there that uh, the seventh son of a of a poor Bethlehemite, uh, you know, Jesse is is not a man of great means, and uh, David's the seventh son, and and what's he going to inherit? Okay. And David went out wherever Saul sent him, and prospered. That is, he had insight and he succeeded in everything that he did. And Saul set him over the men of war. And it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And so there you have it. That's our our use there in verse 5. Further down, you get to verses 14 and 15. Um, Then we start to get the jealousy, right? Because, um, well, there's singing and there's dancing, there's fame. Okay, in verse 6, the girls are all dancing and there's tambourines and and that the women come out uh, singing with dancing to meet Saul. And here's the song. The women sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> I've been watching this. There's a series on the uh, Sun Records. It's out right now on country music television. And anyway, so it's the, it's the background for Sun Records. It's the background for Elvis Presley and, and uh, Johnny Cash and Carl Perkins and, um, and um, the piano guy. Jerry Lee Lewis, that's it. And, and, and how their background and all this. And, and it's interesting because 
um, Hank Snow was the star and now no one's listening to him because Elvis is on the scene, right? Elvis is the opening act and all the girls are going crazy and then Elvis leaves the stage and here comes Hank Snow and, and he's back to his slower kind of country stuff and the girls just walk off and the crowd's empty and, and, and he's, it's not a happy thing, <laughs> okay? And then it's kind of Saul's jealousy here, you know? Saul's one thing, but man, David, that's ten times, tens of thousands. And, uh, and then, of course, the girls and the singing and all, the, all that, the popularity. So uh, Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on and, in fact, tries to kill him, starts throwing spears around and stuff like that. So um, verse 14 tells us Saul was, David was prospering in all his ways for the Lord was with him and Saul saw that he was prospering greatly and that he dreaded him. So this is the prosperity we're talking about, the success, the insight, the sekel. The verb is sakal. Okay? And that comes with the success and the the uh the obedience to the will of God in our daily life. All right, 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 3. David wants Solomon to follow in his footsteps, not only as king, but as one who succeeds. David's time to draw to die drew near. He charged Solomon, his son, saying, I'm going the way of uh, all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, his testimonies, according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may sock how, you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. Your insight, your success, your prosperity, your uh, end-of-life evaluation is based upon whether you're living in the Word of God or not. That's true whether you're a king or you're a soldier or, or whatever you are. When your time to draw does, draws near, you want to be able to pass this on to the next generation. All right. And there's other things there uh, in this chapter. It's a useful chapter. Uh, 2 Kings 18. 2 Kings 18, down to the reign of Hezekiah, one of the best kings ever. 2 Kings 18, 7, And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. Okay? We shouldn't be, you know, the Star Wars thing, may the force be with you. It should be, may the Lord be with you. <laughs> okay? Wherever you go, you prosper. If the Lord is with you, and that's the key, are you in the Word of God or not? The Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. You know, when you see ten tribes to the north get swept away by the Assyrians and you're left uh, as that lonely little king in the south with just two tribes, see, well, he prospered. He succeeded. He had insight. He listened. Thankfully, uh, you know, when you think of Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, you see that tandem there that... uh, None of the, the final kings of Judah ever took advantage of with Jeremiah on the scene at the uh, the fall of Jerusalem. All right, we've already seen Nehemiah eight verse thirteen. That was in the uh, that was in the uh, application there when Ezra was teaching the people. Psalm one nineteen. Be a young man teaching Psalm one nineteen. 
for a couple of Sundays here coming up when I'm overseas. Say hi for me. Psalm 119, verse uh, 99. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, because I have observed your precepts. This is interesting. This is in the Mame strophe. Verses 97 through 104 all begin with the Hebrew letter meme, and it speaks of uh, meditating on the, on the Word of God. I love your law, it is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. And the amazing thing is, is you know, you talk about um, experience, and you talk about what, you know, uh, in, in, in secular terms, the, uh, the people that have been doing it longer have more experience, they have more skill, they have more training or, or whatever. But with the Word of God, it's interesting in how even a young man, biologically young, can outstrip the older folks by virtue of the of what? In, yeah, the insight. But it, it's produced as you live it out, as you meditate upon it, as you live it, as you're consistent with it. I have more insight than all my teachers for your testimonies or my meditation. The Word of God comes alive and you grow in these things because the Holy Spirit is your teacher, not those teachers you're looking at. Anyways, there's, the, the Word of God is unique in this capacity in the way that the Holy Spirit ministers the Word of God and the way that children can have more maturity in doctrine than their parents. Okay, Children that are humble, parents that are struggling with humility. Well, guess, guess which one outgrows the other? Okay? <laughs> And uh, and that. That's the illustration there. All right. Remember the story Ralph used to tell about about David Paul, about uh, he went to be with the Lord. He when he was seven, I think, run over by a car. And but prior to that, when he was five, he he was a believer and he was learning Bible verses and he was in Sunday school and just uh, sharp and and mature and full of wisdom and insight. And on an occasion when Ralph and Dorothy were uh, heatedly discussing issues <laughs> in a confrontational kind of way, okay, arguing, all right, as husbands and wives sometimes do. Anyway, they're they're uh, having it out, and David Paul gets right in the middle of them and says, "The battle is the Lord's." <laughs> you know, wow quote scripture, right? You know, <laughs> out of the mouth of babes. And here's, uh, the, yeah, the battle is the Lord's. And so there's insight and, and children can have insight and, and particularly when they're learning and when they're living it out, when they're growing and it's a, it's a beautiful thing. All right. I'm glad I can tell Ralph's story. I don't have to tell my own stories. <laughs> All right. Isaiah 52, 13. Isaiah 52, 13. Yeah, because Sharon and I, we've been married 20, almost 26 years, and we're waiting. We're, we're going to have a fight one of these days. We're waiting to have our first fight. But, uh, uh, now you know I'm lying. Isn't that terrible? All right. Isaiah 52, 13, Behold, my servant will prosper. Now this is a, a prophecy of Jesus. This is a messianic prophecy of his servant. 
the one who's going to come and go to the cross and provide our eternal life. Behold, my servant will suck how. And will be highly, will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. The maximum reward of the judgment seat of Christ is Jesus. <laughs> and then our reward in Christ is less than that. All right. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of man. His testing is greater than anything a human being has ever endured before. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them they will see. And what they had not heard they will understand. Who has believed our message? (laughs) Okay, And when you think of our Savior and what he accomplished prior to going to the cross and then what he accomplished on the cross, there's never been anything like it in the history of the world. All right, and that's his victory. He will prosper. He will suck how. He will succeed. Daniel 9.22. Daniel 9.22. Going to be teaching Daniel in Revelation in Ukraine coming up, so... Here he's um, praying confessing. It says in verse Daniel 9.20, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, presenting my supplication before the Lord my God on behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. And he gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you sakau, to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. And here we get a little bit of a clue, by the way, because by the time it was by the time of the evening offering and extreme weariness had come about me at the time of the evening offering. Have you ever prayed all day long? Ever gotten up at the time of the morning offering and started your prayers and found that you were just praying all the way straight through until the time of the evening offering and you're still praying straight on through and uh, and you're exhausted at the end of, of such a day? Well, this gives us a clue then of what the commute is like for angels flying from <laughs> God's throne to uh, to earth. Because he says, at the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued and I have come to tell you. So however long, I don't know how fast they fly or uh, what the, how long the line is at Jacob's ladder for them to descend to the earth dimension and how long then it takes them to fly from Jacob's ladder to Babylon. Or, or We don't know, we just have clues, okay? And if, I, if you ever try to chart out a map of angelic geography, um, it's, it's curious, all right? But as far as they, 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 they require Jacob's ladder to... Tra- to um, cross dimensions from the heavenly dimension to um, the earth dimension. Okay. Anyway, so it's a clue. It takes them all day to get there. The command was given at the beginning of his prayers. It takes them all day to get there. And that's, that's significant because in a later chapter we find there's a 21-day delay that Daniel started praying and had to pray for 21 days because Gabriel got ambushed he got waylaid on the way and was held in a, in a 
angel jail, <laughs> if you think about it in those ways. Okay, I hope that's on video. I want to see that. I want to see that. I worked in jails for eight years. I I've seen a lot of jails. I don't know how I would put Gabriel in one of them. Or, you know, what, what, how do you handcuff a an archangel? I don't know, but I'm I want to see that. Well, the other angels laid hold of him, and that's how that worked. All right. But there's the insight, and He's come to provide the insight. Our insight, we don't develop the insight ourselves. We don't develop the... God develops that through the Word of God. And Gabriel's going to minister the Word of God in order to provide that for Daniel. Chapter 11, verses 33 and 35. Daniel 11, 33 and 35. In, uh, in a uh, prophecy here, with an abomination of desolation in verse 31. And um, we've got some, uh, some prophecy to pay attention to in this. All right, verse 30, ships from Kittim will come against him, and therefore he will be disheartened and will turn, return and become enraged at the Holy Covenant and take action. You know, he wants to have victory, but God won't let him, and now he's mad and he's mad at God's people. So he will come back and show regard for those who forsake the Holy Covenant. He's going to poison Jewish people to see if he can get them to side with him against the Lord God. Forces from him will arise, desecrate the sanctuary fortress, and do away with the regular sacrifice, and they will set up the abomination of desolation. Okay, By smooth words he will turn to godlessness, those who act wickedly toward the covenant. And so think about it. False teaching uses smooth words and it seems light and it seems beautiful and it seems right. But it's evil to turn you away from the Word of God. But the people who know their God will display strength and take action. Sorry about that. There we go. Those who have insight among the people will give understanding to the many. So you see, they're not pure synonyms. If you don't have insight, you can't give understanding. But those who have insight will give understanding to the many. Yet they will fall by the sword, by flame, by captivity, by plunder for many days. That's terrible, okay? And they will fall, and when they fall, they will be granted a little help, and many will join them in hypocrisy. And some of those who have insight will fall in order to refine, purge, and make them pure until the end time, because it is still to come at the appointed time. All right, so anyway, here's an eschatological view of Antichrist and the tribulation. It has a foreshadowing with Antiochus Epiphanes in the uh, Maccabean era. But this is uh, what we're talking about and why we need insight, why in the church age we need insight, why after the church age tribulational saints are going to need insight absolutely going to need insight. I believe today, brothers and sisters in the church age, insight, we absolutely have to have it because we live in the intensified stage of the angelic conflict. We live in this present evil age. See. Also in chapter 12 of Daniel, verses 3 and verse 10, those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. There's going to be 144,000 of them, 12,000 from every tribe. They're going to be sealed with the protection of God. 
They're going to have insight. They're going to be able to, they're going to be the greatest evangelists in the history of the world. The evangelism that takes place during the tribulation, this, this world's never seen anything like it. Even while hell is unleashed and Antichrist is, is uh, waging his war. Verse 10 of the same chapter. Many, uh, verse 9, go your way, Daniel. <laughs> Daniel always has more questions. He, he, in verse 8, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel. For these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. Many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand. But those who have insight will understand. The tribulational believers are going to need the doctrine of Daniel to sustain them during their, during their time. All right, so those are uh, the verb applications from Sakal to have insight, to succeed, to have success, to prosper. All of which, you know, we use so many we use so many English words to try to convey the sense of what one Hebrew word is is dealing with. That one Hebrew word is sakal. Is the is the sakal. We want to have sakal. Insight, yes. Success, yes. Prosperity, yes. All of that in sakal. The last thing, and we won't spend a ton of time on this, but there is another noun that comes from Sakal, and you put an M prefix on the front of Sakal, you get a maskeel. And a maskeel is uh, in most of the titles of a lot of these psalms. So Psalm 32, Psalm 42, Psalm 44. And if you ever wondered what a maskeel is, you probably have a footnote or you have a uh, a blurb that your Bible publisher put in there. So let me go to Psalm 32. And you'll notice um, a Psalm of David, a maskeel. Do you see that in the, in the heading of the Psalm before you get to verse 1? Because then verse 1 says, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And uh, we all can amen that because <laughs> that's us. All right. But before you get to verse one, in your heading of this psalm, you have these words a psalm of David, a maskeel. And then, likely, if your Bible is like mine, it gives you a footnote and says, We don't know what this is. <laughs> but it, we think, maybe, possibly, a contemplative psalm, something that makes you think something that provides insight, or a didactic psalm, or a skillful psalm. In any event, it is a psalm that comes from Sakal, which speaks to insight and success. And so we start to consider what a maskeel truly used to be. Okay. Remarkably enough, even the rabbis still debate to this day in, in their different legends and traditions and uh, you know, what, what, what did maskeels used to be back then? See. Anyway, so Psalm 32, Psalm 42, some, and some of these maybe are your favorite Psalms. 44, 45. And, and you start to find some common themes, and, and there's a variety of, of their subject matter. And some of them are encouraging, and some of them are depressing, but they're all meant to invoke this thought. Let me show you something here. In fact, we've got a couple minutes left. Let me uh, close those out. In Logos, you have a tool, and your tool is called, under interactive media over here, 
The Psalms Explorer. You ever play with this? Anyone? Play with this. The Psalms Explorer. And um, <laughs> so this is your Psalms Explorer. I don't know how visible that is. Those are little numbers inside each of those circles, okay? We can maybe uh, zoom in and make it larger. Um, you can list the Psalms in order, 1 through 150. You can list them uh, by genre. Psalms of praise, Psalms of trust, Psalms of hymn, Psalms of thanksgiving, Psalms of wisdom, royal Psalms and laments. You notice the biggest bundle are laments. Most of the Psalms are laments. Uh, by structure, a handful of them are acrostic psalms. They're the alphabetical psalms, Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Daleth, working the way it's like Psalm 119 going through the Hebrew alphabet. Um, some are use the, the, the chiasms or the chiasms. Uh, some are organized by, most are organized by strophe, what we call verses, the versification of psalms. Uh, you can sort them by author. Most of them are by David. Some by Asaph, some, you know, you can sort them by author, some by book. It's broken down into five books. The five books of the Psalms is how 1 through 150 are organized. Um, so that's just across the top there. But now we've got some other, beyond genre, beyond attribution, beyond themes, structure. We also have the tags, uh, some that are according to. Uh, how many of them have salahs? How many of them are mizmors? How many of them are to the choir master? How many of them are messianic? How many of them are maskeels? Here we go. So here's our maskeel collection. And you can start to see them this way. And again, the, the, the larger the circle, the, the, num- the larger the psalm, basically the greater number of verses um, so Psalm 89 is longer than Psalm 78, which is longer than Psalm 55. But you can start to spot all of your maskeels. And if you want to do a study on all the maskeels of Scripture, this is, a, this is a good way to do it. And you start to identify what the wisdom songs are all about. You can hover your mouse over each one. If you want a reminder about Psalm 89, it, it tells you what it is, who wrote it, what it's about, what kind of psalm. It's a, it's a spiffy little tool. So if you've never used it and you have the Logos Bible software, I recommend you come up here to Tools, Interactive Media, Psalms Explorer, and uh, have some fun. <laughs> You'll have some fun with that this afternoon. Okay? That's, but a maskeel is a skillful song. It is a successful psalm. It is a, a psalm, I, I believe it's a psalm of insight. It is a psalm of insight. And read through those, and I think you get the same sense. 14 of them to read through. All right. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for insight that you and you alone provide. And you do so through your word, Father. I thank you for that. I pray that we would uh, be obedient to these priorities and that we would uh, continue to have our our thinking shaped by uh, the blessings that you supply. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.